Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Every time uh, we do gather on a Sunday, um, there we go. Every time we gather on a Sunday, we go to this book. Uh, it's called the Bible. Uh, it's made up of 66 different books written by around about 44 different authors. And what's remarkable about this book is that they all agree on this. It's written so that you might encounter the person of Jesus. Uh, and we believe that in this church, that Jesus is a real person. Uh, Jesus uh, was the person who's transformed our lives. And he's God, he's Lord, he's Savior. And he came to earth to give us life. And the way he gave us life was by giving up his life. And he not only lived this perfect life, but he died on a cross, took the sins of the world on his shoulders. But three days later, he rose again, victorious, defeating death, defeating the grave, defeating sin. And now we believe that he reigns in heaven. And right now in heaven, there is a man called Jesus praying for you, interceding for you. And one day in the future, we believe that he's going to return again. And when he returns, every tongue will confess that he's Lord and every knee will bow. We believe that so strongly. And uh, I guess we would say to you, if you are visiting today, that our, sort of our hope uh, beyond you having a great lunch and you meeting some lovely people, our hope today is that you discover that by surrendering your life to Jesus, by encountering his power and presence in your life and then leading a life of obedience is the best sort of life you could ever live on earth. Amen? We really do believe that, that by meeting with the person of Jesus, your life can be transformed. And so... Um, that's our hope for you today, and we spend every week a bit of time looking at Scripture together. And so we're going to go to Acts 11 today. This talk is entitled, The Church That God Blesses. The Church That God Blesses. And I want you to read this with me, and I want you to see how amazing this first century church was. And then we're going to sort of spend some time looking at it, and the flip chart is out. So it's going to be an exciting morning today. So let's read, shall we? Uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Here we go. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus Christ. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, 
stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now we're going to jump over to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. It's good to read the Bible together, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Uh, thank you that we see a church here that uh, was radically, wonderfully spreading the good news of Jesus wherever they went. And thank you, Jesus, you were right at the center. We want to build a similar sort of church here in Leeds. And we pray that you'd inspire us today as we look at the church in Antioch, the church that you bless. In your name we pray. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, um, the story behind the story. So, you know, if you see someone or something amazing and you're very impressed with it, uh, I'm usually left asking, I wonder what the story behind the story is. Um, I love hearing the story behind the story. And uh, I guess I'm uh, old enough to realize that there's if you see something on the outside or externally looks good, there has to be something more to it. And so I'm always interested to hear the story behind the story. And I heard an interesting story behind the story that I thought I'd share with you this week. I don't know if all of you are going to be happy about this, but I hope at least a couple of people are. But I heard the story behind the story... um, regarding Sylvester Stallone and making the movie Rocky. Now, does everyone know who Sylvester Stallone is? Yeah? Because, come on, hands? Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, great. Has everyone seen, or have you seen the film Rocky? Ooh, ooh. So we've gone down a little bit. We're about 70% there. It's a great film. The story behind the story that before Sylvester Sloan was famous, he was uh, one of these struggling actors, desperate for work, broke, couldn't get a job. And at his lowest point, he had to sell his dog for $25 in order to buy some food. Anyway, a few days later, he was watching an iconic boxing match between Muhammad Ali and uh, someone called Wepner. Uh, I've not seen that Uh, Match, But in watching it, he was inspired to write a story. And he wrote a script in 20 hours. And he tried to sell it with one request, his script for this film, Rocky. And his one request was he would be the star of the movie. So apparently he got an offer for $125,000 for his script. But the studio refused to let him play the part of Rocky. And the next week, they actually offered him more, 
but he still refused because uh, he wanted to be the star of the movie. They wanted the movie and not him. He wanted to be the star of the show. The producers said he looked and talked funny, which I agree with, but eventually they agreed to let him star in the movie but gave him a measly $35,000 for it. And the rest, they say, is history. The movie won every award possible, best picture, best editing, best direction, and even it's made it into the American National Film Registry. The question is, what did he do with his first £35,000? What he did was he bought the dog that he sold. The dog he loved so much. He waited three days at the off-license that he had sold uh, uh, the, the man who'd sold the dog to. The man refused to sell the dog. And eventually, Sylvester Stallone paid $15,000 for his dog. Isn't that a great story behind the story? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, where am I going with this? Well, we're not going to spend any longer on him. But when I read Acts 11, Acts 13, this incredible church, I want to know the story behind the story. Because on the outside, it just looks so good. And as a pastor, it's like the dream church to lead. But I want to know what's going on under the surface. I want to know the story behind the story. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a moment to see what made it so good, and then we'll get the backstory. So let me just first say... Okay, I'm going to start drawing now. Be impressed. Can you tell what it is yet? Yeah, isn't that good? And this was the church in Acts 11 at Antioch. And in our reading, we found out a few things about this church. So, um, when Jesus rose from the dead and met with his first disciples, he told them to go and spread the good news of Jesus everywhere. everywhere. However, the Jewish Christians thought it was just for them. So right at the start of our reading, verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveling as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. So they were still in this mindset that, that this Christian faith was just for their people. However, there were some radicals. There were some radicals that decided that um, the gospel was for all peoples in all places. And so verse 20 tells us, Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. That was a big deal. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. It's hard to imagine how controversial this is. But going to a place like Antioch, we've got a map here. You can see Jerusalem is down in sort of in the bottom right. And um, these uh, uh, unnamed missionaries would have gone north and gone all the way. See, it says Antioch, which is in Syria there. Um, Cyprus almost points to Antioch. And as they made their way up to Antioch, they realized that the gospel wasn't just for them and they began to share it. This city at the time was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. 
and uh, it was just behind Rome and Alexandria. And so it meant that there was about half a million people living there at the time, which is a huge number for an ancient city. And it was the center of commerce. It was um, a crossroads uh, for travel and trade between Europe and the Orient. And it made this city uh, an absolute sort of melting pot of different people uh, and a real melting pot of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, because that's what you get in big cities. Yet these church planting radicals, these pioneers, didn't give in to fear and prejudice, but they bravely pioneered a church. So this church, the foundational, the, the initial people that founded this church in Antioch, they were absolute radicals. But not just that, the Jerusalem church were genuinely worried when they got a report back from Antioch that these people were all mixing together different cultures, different backgrounds in church. And so they send a guy from head office, if you like, to go and check it out. And his name's Barnabas. And to his surprise, verse 23, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God, the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord and with all their hearts. God's undeserved favor was at work in this church. His grace was saving people. His grace was transforming their lives. And Barnabas goes there and he spots the gold. And he sees the Holy Spirit being poured out in people's lives and then poured out into the city's life. Barnabas saw it. He smelt it. He tasted it. It was a tangible thing for Barnabas. So there was grace. Thirdly, under Barnabas's godly leadership, as these people were coming to faith, the church didn't stagnate, but it began to grow through conversion. They experienced a revival. A revival. Verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So what, um, so Barnabas suddenly had all these people coming into the church. What did he do with them? Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. What's going on in this church? Well, there is disciple making. There's disciple making going on in this church. Barnabas finds who he, in his mind, thought was the greatest disciple maker he'd ever met. There's a man called Saul, total wild card. He becomes the Apostle Paul, known for murdering Christians, had a radical conversion, came to faith, and then was hidden away by God for a time of preparation leading up to this point. Barnabas asks him to come and help him, and it leads to even more revival. What do we notice about the church in Acts 11? Well, the fruit of their investment was that the converts were called Christians for the first time, or little Christs. Uh, Initially, uh, it was thought that that was an insult. These people are talking about Christ all the time. And it was a nickname that stuck. And so this church had lots of people that were Christ-like. Sixthly, they were not only Christ-like, but they were generous to the poor. They were generous to the poor. Don't look too closely at the spelling. Verse 27 of chapter 13. During this time, some prophets came down and they predicted a severe famine. And so what did they do? 
Well, they, uh, they did what they could. They provided help for the brothers. Verse 30, they did, and this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. God spoke to the church through a prophet declaring this famine is coming. And this radical church decides to give away to the poor. And then our last little picture in verse 13 is that it was also a hub for mission. And so verse 2 tells us, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And so Barnabas and Saul, probably the two great leaders in the church, didn't just get confined to that church, but they were released. The church sort of sent their best out into the known world. And so just wanted to do this quickly. Look at the Antioch church. That's why many people look at the church in Antioch and think, wow, what an incredible church. So a radical pioneering foundation laying people that started the church. There's grace, there's revival, there's disciple making. The, 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 the people in the church, they look a little bit like Jesus. They're generous to the poor and it's a hub for mission. They want to do even more church planting. So I want to ask, what's the story behind the story? Like, how do you get that sort of church? And I don't believe you get that sort of church just by sort of telling everyone about it and sort of forcing you to change your lives. Come on, work harder, and we'll be this sort of church. That's not how it happens. You guys know that. So what is the story behind the story? What was going on here that led to this amazing church well you may have missed it and you may not be too happy with the answer but in chapter 13 verse 2 three things stand out while they were worshipping everyone say worshipping worshipping the Lord and yeah I feel the groaning already the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and... They sent them out. Prayer, worship, and fasting. This is the little snapshot we get of what was going on behind the scenes. We see all the flash amazing stuff, but this is our little insight into the leadership team. It was a very mixed race team. That's what they were giving themselves to, and one presumes the church too. For us to be this, I would say we need to be this. For us to be this, we need to be this. So I'm going to spend my remaining amount of time just talking about this. Classically, these three things are known as part of a bigger category called the spiritual disciplines. Uh, They're activities, they are relationships, they're experiences that help us be with Jesus. Things like prayer and Bible study and worship and giving and fasting and simplicity and celebration, evangelism. There's a whole number of things that make up the spiritual disciplines. And these patterns, these activities, these disciplines point us towards God's kingdom. They point us towards Jesus because we're easily distracted. We're built to worship 
And if we're not worshipping Jesus, we're worshipping something else. So these things train us to go first to Jesus. It's spiritual muscle memory. It reminds us to go back to God. And it's by being with Jesus, we become these sort of people. Amen? It's being with Jesus that we become these sort of people. So why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them how that list of things make you feel right now. Honestly. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you? Like, how do they make you feel? Are you excited about them? You're like, oh, I'm curious. I want to know more. Any comments? Okay. Um, the spiritual disciplines are challenging things. Um, for many of us, there's an inward groan because we feel tremendous guilt when it, when it comes to praying and worshipping and stuff. Because you know you don't worship and pray and fast enough. I guarantee you don't. You horrible lot. We wanted to say that for so long. Um, came out with quite a lot of force. Sorry about that. You know, fasting, going out with going without food, is just difficult, isn't it? And we're also so aware of our failures. We try and spend time with God, and you know, we fail. We we try and say, I want to do something every day, and we fail. We aim to fast and we just can't resist breakfast I remember uh, at the start of um, so at the start of the year I try and fast a little bit just to sort of gear up for the year and there was a season where I was trying to do a longer fast and spend sort of a longer time in prayer and I remember near the end of that fast um, having a bad day and I actually had one of my discipleship triplets uh, that same day at the end of it or the following day and I knew I had to talk about my bad day at fasting. And so I actually went far first. And I sort of, I really didn't want to say anything because these guys knew I was fasting. I was looking pretty godly right there. And I eventually, the last thing I said when someone said, what's the, what's the one thing you don't want to tell us? I said, I bought a packet of fruit pastels and I ate the whole lot. <laughs> I just got it out there and then the next person shared and after they, they had shared I said guys just so you know there was two packets of fruit pastels <laughs> and then the third person shared and then I said guys it was three <laughs> it was four packets of <laughs> I just couldn't resist that sugary taste oh my gosh so we've all got pretty good spectacular failures when it comes to this stuff and I think a lot of it is related to just missing how God wants to use the spiritual disciplines in our lives so this is a bit of a refresher for us so this is how I would describe a spiritual discipline so we've got a little um, uh, next slide if that's possible a spiritual discipline is an activity that's in my power that helps me do something that I cannot do by direct effort 
So it's something in my power that helps me do something I can't do in my own power. So, for example, there is a little, um, when the kids were smaller, there was a small bit of daddy chocolate that was in the kitchen that was my chocolate that they weren't allowed to go for, so we put it right on top of the kitchen shelf. And if any of my kids tried to reach, you know, stand on tippy toes and reach the daddy chocolate, they could not get to it. It was out of reach. But my kids were pretty clever, and they would drag a chair or a stool and get the daddy chocolate. The chair, the chair is the spiritual discipline. It's something in their power that helps them do something they can't by direct effort, just by willpower. The chair is the discipline. And so God uses all these different activities to help us do something or train to become someone that we can't just do in the moment. So for example, if over here I'm someone who struggles with pride, so what would my life look like if I'm someone who struggles with pride? What would it be like? What would I be like? Anyone? Arrogance? Yep. I'd be an arrogant person, look down on others. What else? Wouldn't show weakness. Be insecure. Critical. Never ask for help. Okay. What's the opposite to someone who struggles with pride? Humble person. So what's a humble person look like? Honest, secure, kind, teachable, serving. You got the picture. None of us are there. We're here. We're somewhere along the line. I need you to give me something that's in my power that helps me do something that I can't just by trying really hard. I can't just try and be humble. You know, it doesn't work. So what spiritual discipline should I be practicing to become a humble person? Anyone volunteer a suggestion? Serving. So how does serving help me? Yeah. Yes. But I'm starting to look to other people's needs. And what would be the really, really powerful antidote to pride? Serving in the hidden place, secret service. So doing something that no one else gets to see that helps protect my heart. No one else will ever find out about What else could I do? Wear a sackcloth. I've never had that proposed to me before. And how would that help me, Steve? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which may be a good spiritual discipline. Yes, thank you. Please, someone else. Anything? Else? What else can I? Where, what, what should I read in the Bible? Confess your sins. Yes. So get it out. So confess your sins to one another. Where, where else? What, what, what should I go to in the life of Jesus? Cooking in the life of Jesus. Maybe not all the time. He, he cooked a meal for, for Peter, didn't he? He had breakfast with him. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yes. 
cooking was good, but that was better. Your husband trumps you. So, yeah. <laughs> I see where you're going. Yeah. Um, and where in the epistles, in the letters, where would be a good place to go to that Paul wrote? Yeah, Philippians 2. That's that little bit where Paul talks about Jesus sort of going from the highest place to the lowest place and then back to the highest place. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death. So I should memorize or meditate on some of those scriptures. Any last bits of advice? Any? Let, oh, that's powerful, isn't it? So allow others to serve me. Don't think I can do it all myself. And look, I'm slowly becoming a humble person. Clever that, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm just doing things that are in my power that helps me do something I can't just by willpower alone. Do you want to take another sin, another thing that we struggle with? Anyone want to say something a friend struggles with? (laughs) Envy. Wow, yeah. So envy. I'm an envious person. What does that mean I look like? What's going on with envy? So judging others. I'm discontent with my own life. What's that? I'm bitter, yeah. Okay, what's the opposite of someone who's envious? Gracious. I think that'd be in there. I'm not sure that's... What's that? Thankful. Content. Yeah, it's going to be around there. And so that means my life looks like what? I don't complain. Simple. I'm happy with much, I'm happy with less and I'm generous with what I've got, excellent you're discipling me and I need some spiritual disciplines to help me because I can't just suddenly turn off the envy how do I get from there to there what sort of things could I do let's go for this one first celebrate others and especially their successes practice thankfulness Excellent. So a discipline would be every time I receive something, food on my plate, salary in the bank, anything, I'm, I'm thankful. Yeah, what else could I do? Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Meditate on the generosity of God. God did withheld nothing from me. Gave me his very, very best. Where in the life of Jesus could I go? I know where I go. Where would you go? Crucifixion, why is that helpful? I know generally it's quite helpful, but. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, great. I like that. That's a very powerful thing, that, isn't it? Jesus giving up everything for you. If He can do it, His power is at work in you. You can do it as well to attain something better. I think I might go uh, to Jesus' temptation in the desert where he's offered stuff and he declares, no, I'm going to live by the word of God. I'm going to, I've got something here that's, that's better than what, you know. That's great. And look, you know, bit by bit, I'm changing. Now, this is really important for a number of things. Let me just point out a couple of things. For the spiritual disciplines themselves not to become the focus, you've got to think backwards 
And what I mean by that is you've got to think about the person you're becoming, not the person you are. And so I think it's often very helpful to imagine, what is the stuff that I'm struggling with right now? And who does God want to make me into? And then you assign the disciplines to line up with that person. Often we just choose spiritual disciplines. We, we feel like we're bad at stuff or we feel we've missed out on God and so we, or we know we should spend more time with him and so we just crack on. And we're not doing it with intentionality. And that little task means you can line up the spiritual disciplines with the Holy Spirit, with what he's doing in your life. So think about the person you're becoming. Secondly, it's not about the chair. I hope you see. Um, so the chair is, represents a spiritual discipline. The spiritual disciplines in and of themselves don't do much. It's, it, it's the fact that they lead you to be with Jesus. And it's the being with Jesus that brings the transformation. So I like to imagine a waterfall, like over the chair. And so every time I get in the chair... This waterfall of God's love and grace and mercy is flowing all over me. And that's the thing that changes me. It doesn't matter what the chair is, as long as you're being with Jesus. And that takes all the pressure off. Because as Christians, if you're a Christian in the room, you can feel this tremendous pressure to do the disciplines all the time. And when you don't do the discipline, you feel bad. But God's like, I don't really care about the discipline anyway. I just want you to be with me. So it means we can perhaps be a lot more flexible during our day and during our week with those disciplines. If, I don't know, so for me personally, I try and make it as easy as possible to sit in the chair. Like seriously, I, I find it hard to use the discipline, so I try and make it as easy as possible. So I've got a nice chair that I sit in at home, I've got a little blanket, I've got a little bit of chocolate, a cup of tea, and I'll get out of bed, you know, for that. And because I know God doesn't, worry too much about what I'm doing he just wants me with him and it's being with Jesus, that makes sense but take the pressure off yourselves choose the disciplines that change the heart so when you're thinking I'm a prideful person and I want to become a humble person there are probably reasons internally why you're so insecure and why you've got to bring others down and so choose disciplines that change the heart because it's out of the heart that our behavior flows. So, for example, if you are an insecure person, it's probably related to your not knowing your identity in Jesus. And so choose disciplines that help you understand your identity in Jesus. That will be one of the things that you practice to make your way into a humble person. And understand it's about training, not trying. And I think this is where visually it helps you see that it's impossible for me to jump into the Christ-like person over there in one leap. And we often try and do that in life. Like that moment comes when we suddenly feel angry and we try and stop it or we feel envious and we try and stop it. That's us trying to be godly. A better way to approach life is to train to be godly. So it's bit by bit, bit by bit over time. And that walk can be a lifetime. But we're not just trying in the moment and failing. We're training. And that's a very important principle. Um, It's also about forming habits. And so this is a whole lifestyle we're trying to develop. It takes between 20 and 80 days to form a habit. The harder the habit, the longer it takes. 
20 to 80 days. And so some of you just need to realize that what you're doing, if you've had a life of not using the disciplines, it's going to be pretty difficult just to sort of turn it on and get up tomorrow morning and do your best to train. And that's where community can really help, where we can help one another engage with the spiritual disciplines. Um, Dallas Willard says this. Uh, He's a great author on the spiritual disciplines. He says, as an apprentice of Christ, I may be saved by grace, but I still have years of habitual anger, materialism, lust, and many other things to be dealt with. They're not just going to go away. Like someone who has a bad golf swing and always slices off to the right, I'm going to have to practice hitting the ball in a different way to make it go straight. The slice is in my body. It's how I've been formed. The disciplines help transform my habitual actions. The disciplines are not a substitute for grace, but receptacles for it. It's so helpful that, isn't it? So I want you to invest in disciplines that fuel your passion for Jesus. I'd like, I know this is almost like a January type talk at the start of the year, but I want you to just look again at what your life needs to consist of in this bit in order for us to be a church family that does this stuff. What I would really advise you is be aware of the season of life you're in. You know, there's lots of young families around and your disciplines are going to look different from when you were single, had time on your hands or when you were retired. Take into account the season of your life and make allowances for that and use life to propel you towards Jesus. And I guess that's where we finish, isn't it? I love, and honestly, there's, I mean, there's seven preachers there on the church at Antioch. But I felt today we were to look on the inside, the story behind the story. And the call is, let's be a people of prayer, worship, and fasting, and all that other stuff. My hope is that when someone comes here, they see evidence of the grace of God. My hope is that we would be called Christians in that true and proper sense. So really practically, what steps can you make towards this in your own life? Work out where you are now and the person that God is calling you to become. And some of you just need to repent in this place where you've lost these things from your life and ask God to rekindle a passion for them. And that's my prayer for us, that God would rekindle a passion for the disciplines because you see the good that they do in your life. And it's not about the chair, but it's about being with Jesus that counts. Amen? Amen. Do you understand? 